Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with my bookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak-dinner winner-winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at MyBookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. Today on the ZABEcast, they say that a bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly. It's too heavy. Like Stephen A. Smith and his opinions are so weak, he shouldn't be able to break the bank. Apparently he's gonna. We've got my man, the Hoosier kid, Ron Thomas. We'll talk Final Four college hoops, grumblings about Coach K and Durham and bad refing. All that plus high school kids do the funnest pranks. Bonus 1% Zabe is locked and loaded, so buggle up and let's go. Here we go. Thursday, April 4, 2019. Thank you for downloading, and thank you for listening. Stephen A. Smith, according to the New York Post, is on his way to perhaps becoming the highest-paid ESPN personality of all time. Reports are he is going to be getting a raise to the tune of close to 8 to $10 million per year in a new contract, even though... His current contract, which pays him a mere $5 million or so a year, has two years left on it. This would vault him well past uh, Michael, not Michael Greenberg. Uh, uh, yeah, Mike Greenberg, Michael Greenberg. Vaulting him well past Mike Greenberg of Get Up fame, the highest publicly known salary at $6.5 million. It is believed that Scott Van Pelt is somewhere close in arrears as the late night star on ESPN, and that Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon of PTI fame are also in that close to $5 million a year range, which I find pretty incredible that ESPN would spend close to $8 million on a half hour or even 22 minute of actual programming debate show, of which they have many others. But hey, good for Wilbon, good for Kornheiser, I guess, whatever. That's great. Great work. If they can get it, they got it. And they're good. And you know, of all the people on ESPN, I think there's more respect for the opinions and the witty stylings of Wilbon and Kornheiser, and certainly a lot of respect for Scott Van Pelt, who's excellent and gets it. And I think Van Pelt, to me, feels like he's one of us and that he's actually a real sports fan. Stephen A. Smith is a he's a TV character. Stephen A. Smith is a guy whose career arc really should be a case study for people who want to get into sports media because he began as a beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, toiled away for years doing that, 
rose to the level of columnist, but then ended up getting demoted by the paper to just a general assignment reporter. He then filed a grievance with an arbitrator, and after like a year or so of winding its way through arbitration, he was reinstated by the Inquirer, but was told that he has to uh, keep his political opinions out of his writing and other TV commentary as part of that agreement. He really was never the same once again, and besides, he had moved on to television ventures. In 2005, of course, he launched the ill-fated show, Quite Frankly, and it lasted, I think, less than two years total before crapping out. He was on ESPN Radio in New York City for a stint there uh, for a show, and that did not last. So all these things are going on, and in the spring-slash-summer of 2009, he had left ESPN. ESPN said they were going in a different direction, that they could not come to terms on a new deal. Stephen A. Smith in the summer of 2009 had nothing going on. It was at that time that his agent or his agency, I'm sure based in Los Angeles, got into the ear of one Don Martin, the head of Fox Sports Radio at the time. He took over for the late, great, and dearly beloved Andrew Ashwood, who hired myself and Scott Lynn and our show, and got into his ear and said, Stephen A is available. You ought to make him your morning host. So I remember the call I got from my agent, frantic call. Couldn't believe it. He was like, okay, here's the deal. He actually called me, my agent, during a break in my afternoon show in D.C., which is a no-no. He should not have done that, but he wanted me to hear right away. He said, look, Don Martin just made the call. They're going with Stephen A. Smith. You're out. I did all I could. I'm very sorry about this. I said, really? I said, Stephen A. Smith, he's not doing anything right now. His career seems to be petering out. What? I said, Stephen A. Smith is going to wake up as early as you have to wake up to do a morning radio show by himself for the most part. Really? He said, yeah, that's the word. I said, well, were we not doing a good job? Well, Don Martin says you guys sound too much like Mike and Mike. And that's when I said, oh boy, this fucking business. Clearly, anyone who's heard my show and or the show Scott and I did on Fox Sports Radio, we were not Mike and Mike. We were the anti-Mike and Mike. Anyone with a brain knows that. But I think that was just a convenient excuse for Don Martin to go ahead and get Stephen A. Smith in there. And who knows what deals were cut back, you know, this is how business works. Powerful people in powerful spots, and Don Martin was running the network because Andrew, the guy who started Fox Sports Radio, died of pancreatic cancer way too young. It was a very awful thing. It it hurt a lot of us. So Don Martin, who was running the sports division of Kate. I forget what it, L.A. Still, he's still in charge out there of the L.A. cluster of, I guess, iHeartRadio, and he'd been told, "Okay, now that Ashwood has you know passed away, you need to take care of the network here." So he went about doing his things, and I met Don Martin once at lunch. And I've never met a guy who was so impressed with himself in my life. It was a, a lunch in which it was supposedly get to know you kind of lunch, and I swear to God, I spoke 
95% of the time if that Don Martin spoke 95% of the time. So it was clear that he didn't give a shit about me, didn't know who I was. I'm out here on the East Coast. He's got creative agents, CAA, which is probably the outfit that represent Stephen A. Smith, uh, breathing down his neck, promising all kinds of stuff, saying, come on, man, this guy's great. You got to get him in there. He's a big name. He used to be at ESPN. Let's go. Get him in there. Boom. So we were knocked out. Stephen A. Smith lasted 11 months doing the show that I did. And then he started to fail upwards at the speed of sound. And by fail, I don't necessarily mean fail. I mean, Stephen A. Smith has crafted himself into a perfect cable television character in sports. A sort of a a good guy heel, a heel face. I forget what they call it in wrestling. In a lot of ways, he's like The Rock. You know, he's not a baby face. He's got some heel edge to him, but people love him. And he's got this character going in which he's got these catchphrases like stay off the weed and Aaron Rodgers is a bad man and talking about the Cowboys and trolling Cowboy fans and laughing when they lose and saying they're an accident waiting to happen with remixes of him saying that, trolling Cowboy fans on live location and doing just enough controversial stuff to remain you know, in focus without getting actually fired. Now, something Stephen A. Smith said, I think he's lucky he didn't say them now versus saying them when he did. For example, when Ray Rice and the video came out, Stephen A. Smith said that part of the discussion needs to be on how women in these relationships need to be careful so as to not provoke the kind of response, violent response that Ray Rice invoked against his fiance or wife. Wow. Can you imagine Stephen A. Smith saying that now? There was some pushback. I know Michelle Beadle didn't like that very much. And she said some things. Social media at the time was not as big as all immersive as it is now. The online roving gangs of outrage bots that would rock the boat and try to get people fired for stuff like this didn't quite exist in the same way that they do now. But along the way, it didn't really matter. Everything Stephen A. Smith did turned up as gold. And when then when Skip Bayless went to Fox for $6 million a year, Stephen A. just became more valuable, at least in the eyes of the network. It's funny because the Post article, New York Post article by Andrew Marchand, talks about how Stephen A. is viewed as one of the three or four indispensable talents at ESPN, along with Van Pelt and some others. And I thought, indispensable, really? Like they'd clo- they'd fold the network without Stephen A. Smith there? It's easy to just shake your head and say this is an abomination. An abomination, as Stephen A. would say, that here is a guy who is a sports opinionist, right? Stephen A. is supposed to have sports opinions. And as an opinionist, his opinions suck. They objectively suck. They are thinly formed, often dead wrong, and hyperbolic in nature at best. But he's what the people want. He is the perfect cable television character. And he has understood that, he has seized that, he has rode that to what might become a huge payday. It's an interesting business to be sure. 
I'm actually in Stephen A. Smith's Wikipedia page. Yay. Hey, how about that? It does mention that he replaced me. Replacing Steve Zabin, an East, a Washington, D.C.-based talk show host in January of 2010. Yes. Famous. Not as rich as Stephen A. Smith, but there you go. Apparently, the Post said he's a, a fan favorite with management up at ESPN because he's willing to go on and do lots of other stuff, of which they've given him other stuff, such as doing all kinds of hits on SportsCenter, going to big events, and now doing boxing and MMA. I said one of the, re- one of the benefits of Stephen A. Smith not being married without kids, although he has a daughter, uh, so mazel mazel on that, but you know he's still basically single at 51 years old, so he can do all that work. What else is he going to do? Hey, Stephen A., you want to go to the Final Four? Yes. Hey, Stephen A., you want to go to the Super Bowl? Yes. You want to go to this uh, big uh, Conor McGregor fight? Yes, of course. He's not worried about, oh, you know, I was kind of hoping to be home with the wife and the kids. It's, a, it's an advantage. I would recommend to anyone who wants to climb the ladder and perhaps jump on the rocket ship of fame and success in sports media, getting married makes things tougher. Stephen A. Smith along the way, I think, had no problem saying, you know what, I don't like this deal. Or I've come to a dead end on this runaround with ESPN. So I'm just going to quit, and I'm going to plot my next move, and I'll figure out a way back. And let's see, who do I have to tell about this? Uh, nobody, just me. And am I going to starve? No, I just checked my bank account. I've got lots of money in it. It's a lot different than if you have a wife and two kids, and you you come home and you say, honey, I just quit ESPN. You what? Yeah, I didn't like the bullshit they were asking me to do and stuff they were saying about how I presented things. So I said, fuck it. I'm out. I'll figure something out. What about our health insurance? What about the kids' college fund? Where are we going to live? Do we have to move, pack up? It's a whole different ballgame. That's all. That's true, I think, for anything in life. You're definitely more nimble when you are single as a professional deep into your 30s, 40s, and 50s. Very rare. People start wondering, what's wrong with you, man? It's like you can't be single and be a professional man who doesn't want to be married with kids. I don't know. I guess not. That said, God bless Stephen A. It's an incredible rise from a low point in his career where it looked like for all intents and purposes, he was dead in the water. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be totally on point with your takes. If you're the right character at the right time, you could be a very rich man. Doesn't have the deal yet, though. This could be also his agents planning the story with Marchand in the post to get ESPN, you know, kind of like worried. But if ESPN pays him $10 million, who are they bidding against? Does Fox really want to bring that salary on at $9 million a year to steal him away? You'd think ESPN would play hardball like, look, yeah, you're good. We like you. We use you all the time. But the network's not going to implode without you. And, knock, knock, who else is coming for you? There aren't many places willing to pay you and your subprime opinions $9 million a year. On that related note, somebody pointed out today that ESPN on first take had a LeBron versus Jordan debate. Again, for the 18 billionth time, I'm sure. 
Why would you be having that debate on April 15th? Probably because research and testing shows that's what the people want. Give them more cowbell. Give them more LeBron versus Jordan debate. How do you even have that debate, though? How do you put any fresh breath into such a non-stupid argument? I don't quite get that. I also happened upon first take first take going at length for 10 minutes, it seemed almost, on a comment Shaquille O'Neal made about how he is giving up the Superman title to Giannis. I didn't demacupo of the Bucks because he's better than Shaq was at his age. And the debate was, debate, quote unquote, between him and Max Kellerman was, do you believe Shaq is being honest in saying this? No, I kid you not, that was the debate. Do you believe Shaq is telling the truth? I just sat there saying, this is an interesting topic. This matters to anybody in their lives. Apparently the answer is yes. God bless Stephen A. Get all the money you can, my friend. Keep on failing upward at the speed of light. What you are doing is definitely working. What I'm doing is keeping the lights on. It's keeping me employed. I'm not rocket shipping anywhere. Packers coach Mike McCarthy has finally broken his silence since getting fired. I should say ex-Packers coach Mike McCarthy. I never cared for Mike McCarthy, and I care for him even less now. Wait till you hear this. Headline. Mike McCarthy is furious at how the Packers fired him. Oh, for fuck's sake. Shut up. After they had lost to the Arizona Cardinals at home, while theoretically still in the playoff hunt, a two-win team came in, one of the two, well, really a one-win team, except for they beat the Packers too, the team that will be drafting first coming up in the NFL draft this this, uh, late April. Mike McCarthy is now upset because of how they fired him? Really? Said McCarthy, uh, speaking to ESPN.com, or ESPN, I guess, in his first comments since being fired. Quote, it couldn't have been handled any worse. Anytime you lose a close game, it's a difficult time emotionally afterwards. But when you lose a home game at Lambeau Field in December, it's really hard. The 55-year-old said of the 2017 defeat, and that hasn't happened very often. I walked out of the press conference, and I'm thinking about the game, thinking about how our playoff shot was now minimal. That's where my head was at. And when I was told by team president Mark Murphy wanted to see me, and the messenger was cold and the energy was bad, Mark said it was an ugly loss and it was time to make a change. He said something about the offense and the special teams, and he didn't think it was going to get any better. There is no emotion to it. That was hard. Fuck you. I mean, seriously. What, what is this? Youth football? Is this a cocktail party? Your time was long overdue up. And you want to lay a turd sandwich like that at Lambeau Field, historic Lambeau Field, with Aaron Rodgers and say, oh, well, you know, I'd, it was very mean. It was very cold. Mark Murphy didn't cry When he fired me, fuck you, get out. But McCarthy said, fortunately, his friends in the league provided the cushion. 
quote, but hey, I'll never forget the response afterwards because I put my phone away. I woke up, I could not believe my phone. When we won the Super Bowl, I received over 200 texts. That week, I had over 500. Well, congratulations! You you win the I Just Got Fired Sympathy Bowl. I got more than twice as many messages for getting fired than I did when I won the damn Super Bowl. It's remarkable. They were from current and former players, competitors, owners of other NFL teams, politicians, Politicians, media members, guys I competed against that I had never even talked to. I was blown away by it, and I still am. Well, good for you. Story also points out that afterwards, uh, McCarthy was expecting to get hired, but did not, and is apparently taking the year off. And he's, of course, berating high school referees like a jackass. So yeah, there's that. I'm so happy he's no longer the Packers coach. Uh, it's hard to put it into words. Ooh, Chris Cooley's calling me right now. I better take this. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cooley is now live on the Zabecast. Uh, I have to get you to tell the story on the air of what you just did in your house that has rendered you so sore you can barely move. <laughs> Such a spaz. Oh... You, you want me to do it? Tell me right now, because I was recording something, and I stopped talking, and I took the call, and I was like, oh, shit, this will be great for the podcast. Cooley repaired a flood caused by his little chitlins in the bathtub that soaked through the sheetrock in his high 10-foot ceilings by replacing the sheetrock by yourself? Okay, so... Just- <laughs> Since I didn't tell you this before, my son turned a bathtub on like eight months ago and it flooded a third of my house. It was a huge insurance claim. That was not a project I did. Oh, so this is the second time your son has flooded your house. This is the second time. Oh, Lord have mercy. So this time you're like, okay, that's not as bad. I can do this repair. Now, Cooley does a lot of his own repairs. He's quite handy. I didn't want to call the insurance. I didn't didn't want to call. Because out out of shame, like you'd have to say, huh, it happened again, and have them laugh at you? Yeah, so the sad thing is, is a pipe burst in a house that I own in Wyoming two and a half years ago, and it flooded the entire house. So this is my third flood in three years. Oh, Um, my God. All right, so how how, did... I wasn't there. Okay, so... So I... I'll tell you the whole story. So they, I was changing all the filters and all my, like all of my spigots or all of my faucets or whatever it was. You have a well, so you understand this. It's like you have a high level of manganese, I would bet. And that stuff clogs up your filters so your water doesn't spray or flow the way it should normally flow. Right. So I was cleaning out, trying to clean out my bathtub filters. And I twisted the bathtub. I couldn't get it out. And I I broke it off the pipe. I'm not saying I'm super strong. I was going crazy. It broke. It it felt like it just untwisted. So I realized I broke it off the pipe. This was two weeks ago. I left it sitting there. So it wasn't my kid's fault. It was my daughter who did it. She saw the bathtub the way it was normally sitting. She turned the tub on. She didn't even know. It couldn't have been more than 15 minutes. Not more than probably not more than ten. 
because it was off. I sat down last Friday to watch the tournament. Maddie, my wife, came in, and she said, why is the floor soaked? It was carpet. Oh. Or just a rug. Oh, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I stood up, and we felt it, and it was like, there's only, there's no, no spill. It was soaked. So I looked up at the ceiling, and you could see all through the drywall that it, it wasn't still dripping, but you could see it was wet. Oh, Lord. So the next day, I called the dude who came out. He does all the water testing, all the stuff. The floor underneath it is good, which is wood floor. It would have been disastrous insurance had that been wet in the baseboard. So I'm like, sweet. He said, I'd tear out most of the drywall, though, and get all the baseboards above you dry. So he said, when do you plan on doing that? I said, well, I guess right now, which was last Friday. Holy shit. So I got the ladder and the razor knife, and I cut out about 12 feet by 20 feet. Okay. 12 by, tw- well, not not in one piece. No, 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 no. You, you had right. to come down in a bunch of pieces. All right, so you cut and it I, out. And I cut it out perfect. Right. But then, you know, you have to unscrew. Like, you, then you have to go under and unscrew all the screws where it was holding in, do all the cleanup stuff. It was. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like, I'd, I'd call the guy, and the guy that was there said, 500 bucks to rip it out. I'm like, I'm not paying 500 bucks to rip out some drywall. <laughs> Just for the rip out. Crazy, and it would have been like three, four grand to put it back up. Okay. So I rip it all out. It's like twelve of those giant husky bags that you buy at Home Depot, full of sheetrock socks. I got dust everywhere. Oh my god! So how do you get then, a? All right, all right, hold on, hold on. What is a what is a standard size piece of sheetrock in dimensions? Three feet by six feet? Four feet by eight feet, or four feet by twelve feet? Holy shit. So four by eight sheetrock, that is not a one-man job to put that up on a ceiling, much less on a wall. And yet there you are on a ladder climbing up to put that up. How did you even get the screws in as a one-man job on a ladder? It was was harder than I really anticipated. So I've done some stuff on the ceiling before, and... I always go to like T.W. Perry and they used to have a ceiling lift that would just, you just right. roll this wheel and it mounted up there, but they had sold it. And so I, I got, I was going to get the longer pieces, but I got four by eight. That's still, how much does, how much and does so, a four so by eight, how much does a four by eight weigh? Do you know the weight, the weight of it? They're not insanely heavy. Like you could carry a four by eight, no problem. But they're unwieldy. And you have to press it up against the ceiling flush and straight and then get the screws in without it falling down. All as a one-man job, all up on a ladder. So I did the first one. I had 11 pieces that I had to put up. I did the first one. And I basically climbed the ladder right in the middle of where I wanted to go. And it's hard to get it, make sure it's like, because both of the ends want to hang down. It's hard to make sure it goes where exactly where you want it. And then I was pushing up against my head, which feels like I got hit in the head with a hammer right now. Pushing my head up against the ceiling on the ladder to hold it in place with my head while I screwed it. Oh, and then, like, you got to get, like, I would put the first screw on the screwdriver and set it on top of the ladder. Yeah. And then you get up there, and then you at least get the first screw in. But you got to get, like, five screws into a 4 by 8 before you're before it kind of stable. So it was a, it was a big... Honestly, dude, 
I started cutting them in after I've got, I got three pieces up and then I made this two by four, like a T out of two by fours. And I made my wife hold up <laughs> to stand under there and help hold it up. Then I got real tired and I was like, screw it. And I cut them in, in half and I was okay. like, I'll, I'll do more. I'll do more mudding. I'll mud this half seams. I don't care. I can't. I got real tired. <laughs> By the way, I dropped, I dropped, I dropped two of them straight to the ground. Like oh. one had like four screws in and it kind of came out and undone. And I, the ladder started to tip. So I was like, I guess I'm just going to drop it. Boom. All over the floor. Uh, 52 pounds is what the internet says. A four by eight sheet of drywall weighs. So while you say that that's not that heavy, that's a heavy ass unwieldy thing that you're trying to control maneuver and then press up against a 10 foot ceiling on a ladder where a fall from a 10-foot ladder could kill you, Cooley. Well, I wasn't going to fall. <laughs> That's what everyone says until they fall. All I, right. wasn't on t- I wasn't 10 feet high. I was probably like 6 feet. If I had fallen, it would have just hurt. <laughs> could have broken your leg. Could have busted a pelvis. Could have taken an Alex Smith, huh? It, yeah. You could have had a spiral fracture of your tibia. And gotten an infection and lost your leg. How would you feel then? You'd feel pretty stupid that it's your third water damage incident. You're too lazy or cheap to call insurance or ashamed. You don't. You didn't call any of your ex-football playing buddies. I don't know why you didn't get an ex-lineman over to help you out. It would have been easy to do that. You could have called me. Yeah. I would have been busy, but I would have said, I support you in this endeavor. I'll watch. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh... You I'll you're hold the camera. Uh, you're right. I'll bring a camera and I'll take pictures. Good job, Cooley. Good that's job. A, that's my only regret is I didn't time lapse it. So yeah, I got it all up. But here's the thing. Oh. Here and I got it all up and I got the first coat of mud on. Finished up today. I'm a good. I'm, I'm a good mudder. But uh, I'd pay you three thousand dollars to not feel the way I feel right now. Yeah. Exactly. Now I can't, I can't even move. I went and played golf today. I couldn't. I could. If the ball was below my feet, it. I couldn't. I couldn't get down to it. I couldn't even move. So you feel more sore, and more beat up than even when you played in the National Football League. The way I feel today is, and by the way, it's compounded with what happened in the National Football League. But the way I feel today. Is not no game compares to the way I feel today. Holy shit! I feel like fucking Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, you can barely move your arms. Damn, More dude! Like my back and my knees and stuff. So wow, that's a, that's a deal. So I still got I still got to put another coat of mud on tomorrow and paint it because I, I mean you. Well, you now you're my, now it's you're. It's my like main. It's my main living room. So my wife is not pumped that there's plastic all over the floor and the couch is covered. Like, I, this isn't a mess around. I got to go finish yeah. it still. So. Right. You got you to get it done at this point. And knowing you, the hell you are going to call anyone to finish. You've come this far. You're taking this project over the finish line. Come hell oh, or high water. No, yeah. the rest of it's the re- no. I did the hard part. Re- the rest of it's relatively easy. I remember watching uh, the the home, the first home that we bought be built here in the Virginia area, and I would check on the house, of course, at every step because that's what you do. You're all excited. Oh, what are they doing now? And I remember coming in on a Saturday and seeing a guy mudding and sanding 
the drywall, and he's got those stilts on Cooley, and he's got his sander, and he's got his breather and his goggles, obviously, and he's walking around, and I thought to myself, God bless the fact there are humans willing to do that job because that looks like the most miserable pain in the ass ever. It is, but I've done this enough to know that I don't really sand anymore. I wet sand it. I take a wet rag. I mud it clean enough that there aren't lines and stuff, and then I just take a wet rag. I don't sand it. Wow, you're an expert I mudder. Hate. Your mudder yeah. was a mudder, and you're a mudder. You know how to mud that's that right, shit up real nice. That's, that's it. All right, well, good. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Sorry your golf game was bad. Uh, shall I hit unrecord so we can talk about whatever you wanted to call me about that is not arable? Yeah, hit, hit unrecord. Okay, here we go. All right, cool. Uh, good to talk to you. Thanks. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead at mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with MyBookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak-dinner winner-winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at mybookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. In a continuing effort to bring you new characters on this show... And people who are interesting, good conversationalists, and no sports, time to call my buddy. Who's your Ronnie? Who's your daddy? Who's your Ronnie? Hello, Ronald. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you, Steve? Doing good. By the way, I've taken uh, the liberties of giving you John Cougar Mellencamp's I Fought the Law and the Law Won. Or the Authority song. Don't know if you hate him or not, but he is Indiana born and raised. I thought it's a connection. No, I love John Mellencamp, and I just saw him in concert up in Baltimore, and he was fabulous. You did? Well, then perfect. So this can be your song, right? I love it. (laughs) All right. Very good. All right. We got a lot to get into today, but first let me start with uh, Indiana basketball because I mentioned, uh, you know, the topic. And there are a number of listeners that are big Hoosier fans. And they're like, when are you going to have your buddy on to talk about Hoosier hoops? Now, last we talked to you, Ron, you were getting kicked out of Capital One Arena for running your yap at Tom Crean. And he stopped to yell at you. I never got kicked out. He didn't have the grounds to kick me out. But after watching Indiana lose for the 18th, out of 20 tries to Wisconsin. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. Crean lost 18 out of 20. I had had it. 
And I was up in a suite with a guy named Chris Johnson. I think you know CJ well. Yeah, my boss at 980. Yep. And I said, CJ, I can't handle it anymore. Watch this. He said, where are you going? And I said, watch. So he, I walked down and I went to the tunnel. I always look at the tunnel to see where the referees go out. And I always look at the tunnel to see where the teams go out or come in and out. And I walked down there and I leaned over the rail and I said, you ruined the program. And he said, he looked up at me. He and long He's, story short. He was striding he out. He was striding out. You can watch this if you find the video on YouTube. He stopped in mid-stride, turned, and addressed and I you. Said, I said, you can't coach. You ruined the program. That's not Indiana basketball. And he looked for security to try and get me thrown out. He couldn't. I disappeared. It was as if it was like the. Uh, You're gone. You're gone was, like it was Bin like Laden the, on the it was, run. Steve, it was like the warden in Shawshank when he said, like a fart in the wind. <laughs> you were gone. <laughs> About Andy but, Dufresne. <laughs> but you said your piece. Now, you know, since that time, it's been two years now. Of no, Archie this is Miller. The second year. This is the second year for Archie. Okay. My, I, I also, by the way, uh, lawyer Dave went to Indiana, played baseball there after transferring from TCU. He he too, when when they hired Archie Miller, he was like, oh God, really? This is the best we can get? He didn't like the hire from the get-go. Did you like the hire from the get-go? No, I didn't like the hire. And the reason is simple, because he's not an Indiana guy. And by an Indiana guy, I don't mean necessarily that he had to be born in the state of Indiana, but... We would have preferred a player after what we had been through with Kelvin Sampson and, uh, well, Mike Davis, you know, took us in 2002 uh, following the night dismissal, took us to the championship game. It was wonderful. It was a great team to watch, fun style, but his career ended up going nowhere. Um, and then we had Kelvin Sampson. And then, of course, we had Tom Crean. And the Archie Miller hire was probably as disappointing a hire as I've experienced being a university of maryland graduate and close with gary and just, just because what he's they were not going to do after that well, just because he was I, not the, an indiana guy who would who would have been indiana your guy? guy but 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 steve the main the main reason i was upset is because there was a guy who played on that 2002 team named dane fife and dane oh, fife has been an assistant to tom Izzo for nine seasons wow okay his first assistant now I figure if a guy's good enough to be an assistant for or for Izzo, he played in it. He wore an Indiana jersey. He sat on the sideline next to a genius. And again, we saw how much of a genius Izzo is here in the last week uh, or so. And mm -hmm. they could have hired him. They didn't even offer him the job. They went with Archie Miller. Fred Glass, the AD, made another bad hire. <clears throat> and people would say, "Well, you know, give him time. This is year two. All right, Indiana starts out 12 and 2, Steve, this year. Things are looking pretty exciting. 12 and 2 is was fool's gold or whatever you want to call it because they were unconscious from the outside. Right. They were completely reliant upon the perimeter game and I knew, I told my brother-in-law and all of us on our text uh, string that we have, I told him I said I said if we we start missing shots, we're dead. So what happened after 12 and 2? Lost 12 out of 13. Oof. Yeah. NIT, here we come. So how do you win at Indiana? You win at Indiana by um, playing a style of basketball that takes care of the ball for one. It's amazing. You know, you can't score if you don't have the basketball. Mm. So that's that's a, 
you know, it's That's not a new true, concept. True yeah. as the it, as Doctor yes, Naismith's original peach buckets. Yes, it is. So you take care of the basketball and you play defense, and those are going to win you games in the Big Ten. Um, should you should what, you try to recruit outside? of the state and outside of the Midwest. Well, that's where I was going next. Uh, we have an affinity for our homegrown players and we got one this year, Steve, we've got Romeo Langford, who was literally supposed to be the savior for the program. In fact, that's what he was labeled. Indiana, Mr. Basketball, number four, all time leading scorer in high school, uh, in the high school, you know, record books in the state. So you think everything's going to be great. Uh, he came and, he ended up being the number one scoring freshman in the league at 16.5 a game. But I also think he was number one in the league in number of times he was beat off the dribble, <laughs> a number one in the league for the least amount of emotion and leadership displayed. Um, a guy who literally had zero fundamentals. I've never seen a guy miss more big foul shots. I can attribute at least five or six missed foul shots to, you know, a won or a win or a loss and it going to a loss because of the missed foul shots. He's one of those guys, Steve, and we, we could touch on a lot, but you know, this, this whole one and done thing, he was a one and done before he even came. Romeo, my yeah. Romeo. Yeah. And the, and the way I explain this to my friend, to my brother and everybody is I said, listen, you know, let's Indiana was basically Verizon. Let's say Verizon corporate. And you go after this kid and he's got his mind set on going to work for Apple, Apple being the NBA. Right. So he's going to come and he's going to work for you at Verizon for one year. What is he going to bring to your corporate structure for the future? He's not bought in to he's, making Verizon not. the best it can be. It's a stepping stone to Apple. That's absolutely right. And guess what? They make the NIT. They If they just won that last, the, their game in the Big Ten tournament, had they beat Ohio State, that would have been in the tournament. He would have had more of a chance to showcase his talents, if yeah. you want to call it that. But they make the NIT, and guess what? He's got a bad back. He didn't play any of the games. Oh. Ended up, no, no, they didn't. They did, yeah, he didn't play any of the games. They beat St. Francis at home. I think it was then they beat Arkansas at home and then they lost to Wichita State. He didn't play any of those games. Romeo Langford will go down, in my opinion, as the biggest bust in the history of Indiana University basketball. Wow. Bigger than Lawrence Funderburk? Oh, wait, he was Ohio State. Oh, uh, guy, how do you, you, only you would remember. He, that he was Ohio State. He was not Indiana. <laughs> No, um, he played in Indiana. He and then he transferred. Knight, and he that, transferred. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I have random it. college players rattling my brain. By the way, led the league in least emotional expression. I, I don't have that in my Big Ten stat release. <laughs> you must have a more detailed stat sheet than I do. Well, okay. Steve, hold <laughs> on. But, Steve, you know, I tell myself I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch. But for, since I was a child, I have watched every single Indiana University basketball game. I love and, that, but that's because you grew up in Indianapolis. Well, actually, you were born. You're in from Zionsville. Zionsville. Born in Indianapolis, from Zionsville, Zionsville yeah. Indiana. And but I traveled every. We went to every home game. Yeah, it was but, just what we did. I never really probed you as to your emotions when Indiana met Maryland, the school you went to in the championship game in '02, which was, by the way, 17 years ago to the date yesterday. 
Yes. How did you feel during that game and which, where were you pulling? Uh, we have a lot to talk about. I'll just make it simple. I was close to the Maryland program, close to Billy and, and uh, Billy Hahn and Jimmy Patsos and Gary and all these guys, but so you, I still, I still lean for the home. Okay. Still yeah, for I did. In and, fact, I'll never forget. I was watching it down in DC at a bar down in Georgetown and there was a foul that should have been called against Tom Coverdale. He got fouled. And I said, call the, you know, foul. <laughs> and my, I was with all my Maryland guys. And, and they're like, like, what's wrong like, with oh, you? There you go. Yeah. There's the barometer. <laughs> we, now we know. Now we know exactly. <laughs> By the yeah. way, why did uh, Davis's career peter out? Because it's, I'd say, very unusual for a D1 coach to take a team, especially a pedigree team, to the mountaintop and come just short and then have his career basically crap out. Like, uh, he just, he didn't have, uh, he didn't have the, the work ethic for one. I know that for a fact, uh, having some people in the program that told me that he, he just wasn't willing to do the work to, to get the kids in, in and out of class. And, uh, it's a grind, man. It is yeah. so oh, competitive yeah. I mean, division one, man. Listen, it's 90%, uh, 10% coaching, 90% is the rest of the stuff babysitting recruiting and recruiting and babysitting and gently lying gently lying to mommy and daddy about your son and what he's going to do once he's here and then keeping the uh, investigators at arm's length if you're doing something shady which if you're in the sec you're definitely doing something shady and of course you having had kelvin sampson you're probably looking at him now at houston thinking okay uh, he's back just like bruce pearl he's back i guess cheating cheating works I, i know gary our friend, our mutual friend, has to be disgusted with the way things are now in college basketball. Uh, well, I think, I, truthfully, I think it's part of the reason he got out. That and Debbie Yao, but yeah. uh, you know, our former AD. But yeah, he Gary didn't want he didn't the, want to be part of this, and this was when he was no. starting to ramp up and get really out of control. He saw the writing on the wall, and Gary is such a good people reader. You know that, Steve. He can look at you. Oh, yeah. You're thinking, "Oh my God, he's got me pegged." But he, <laughs> so he, he. I, I say that because he knows these coaches so well. You know, he knows. He just knows the game. He's been around it. He's a Hall of Famer. He was a wonderful player. People don't give him credit for that, but he's he's played the game and he coached the game. And you know, he started at what American, then he went to Boston College, so he got a taste of the Big East and the stories he has about the Big East, about being down at the meetings down in Florida and different places when the league was just this would the be the Genesis. ascendancy of the Big East when Dave yes. Gavitt negotiated yeah. the groundbreaking cable TV deal that put the Big East in everyone's homes and got people like you and me of our age to fall in love with Pearl Washington and Chris Mullen and Ronnie Cycli, and all these guys. I mean, this was like, wow, college basketball on my television. It was great. CBS watching those games in the Courier in the Carrier Dome was just the greatest. Yeah. It was like Georgetown, Syracuse, it was must watch. But right. um, so let me switch. So Gary, you. So let Gary me, just yeah. yeah, go ahead. So Gary just had had it. He had had it. Yeah. He didn't. He knew what was going on, and he wasn't going to play that game. Yeah. All right. So let's so. switch over to Duke because you've got. Uh, I won't name him. So you can spread the, uh, the 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 juice that you heard here, but uh, you have a friend who's close to a number of people at Duke, and he's told you that there's some rumblings down there about Kay and this one and done thing, which is going to come to an end in two more classes. What are you hearing? Well, from him, and to hear this out of his mouth is startling because he's a guy who travels down to the games. He's close with the program. Uh, he's an he, alum too, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, oh yeah, absolutely. And I think he was a maybe, you know, held captive or a victim of the moment because it was just after they lost. But he literally sent me a text message, and it said, "Coach K, it's it's time, end of an era. I'm done." And then I, yeah, and then I replied, just because they lost a a, a narrow game to a Titan program like Michigan State and Izzo. Okay, well that's for any average human being who doesn't have a former tour player mind on their head and <laughs> handle money and uh, sure. big money from players around the, you know, around the world, this and that, but Steve's not one of the, or I mean, he, I'm not going to say his name again, is not one of those guys, but what he said was, uh, and it's proven in, in, you know, as far as statistics, two final fours in the last 15 years with all of that talent that's okay, what it well, is if, that's what it is yes, for duke two and two 15 in the two and 15 so if you're gonna only do two in the last 15 then at least give me some kids that i can fall in love with aka my hurleys and my grand hills and my thomas hills and my leitners and my Cherokee shane Batiers and, and guys yeah, like exactly. that exactly even in jay will jj reddick yeah, erratic. Fall in love with them and have an identity, you know, and enjoy. But he, they're concerned with the way. And Coach K, in fairness to him, is concerned with it too. You can't help the guy for recruiting these players. Now, some would say, well, how the hell is he getting these players? Because you know they're being offered a ton of money to go to other schools. Are they going to turn down one hundred and fifty thousand to go to? LSU or that's what we're led to. That's what we're led to believe that they want to play for Duke and the mystique and being on TV and the history and Cameron indoor, the most unique setting in college basketball and coach K coached NBA all-stars and Olympic teams that they're Mm -hmm. buying into that. And they're saying, I don't need the 150 grand that LSU offered. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to believe. I don't know if I believe it. The corollary Ron is Duke may be one of those too big to fail institutions that god forbid you put duke on ice what does that do to the sport well not only duke but especially the coach you know a man who's sacrificed so much in terms of the olympic yeah coat you know teams and this and that he, they're untouchable let's let's face it <laughs> but you can you can understand this person's concern because they're not getting it done and all they hear about year after year is how incredibly talented they are right. and listen <clears throat> and getting it done and getting won. it done their benchmark realistically should be getting to the final four not winning championships any program that says well that's our bar winning championships that's bullshit that's a, that's bragging right there because it's really hard to win at all only one team does but final four is a decent benchmark to say are you getting it done for the talent you're bringing in and he's not as of late Yep. And I mean, for the fan experience alone, to be able to take your team to the final four, if they get there and you lose, your fans are going to be really, really understanding because you've taken them there. They've been able to get their hotel, get their plane tickets. Because it's a week long party. Oh my God, it's the greatest. You've been, there's nothing, there is nothing better than the final four. And I heard Gary talk about on his podcast tonight with uh, you know the DC yep. basketball coaches, he said that getting to the Final Four is not the ultimate. Obviously, winning a game is the ultimate, but it's damn close. close he said, right. "Yeah, right. so it's, yeah, it's a, you're 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 in a rarefied air. I mean, you use it to recruit off of. 
You use it, you know, you hang a banner. We were in the final four. Uh, it, it, it marks you, it marks you as a legitimate big time division program, division one program. So I wonder how long Kay will coach and everyone thinks Dawkins is the logical successor, but Dawkins has been around for a while, you know? Like, yeah. He, he's so perfect for the job though. He really is. Yeah. <clears throat> he's a graduate. Um, I think that, you know, I can say this on air, but I think having an African-American coach, at Duke would be a Doesn't wonderful hurt. thing. Oh, I'd love. I think it'd be great for the sport, and it'd be great for the school. They are a, um, you know, they're a school that is progressive. Let's just say they're all progressive. And, uh, they're all liberal. Well, this one's. Well, this one's. How liberal is Duke? It's very, it's so international. It's great. It's right. um, so you know, it's very liberal. So, so the question that I don't know the answer to, and I guess we won't find out until it happens. What happens after Kay leaves? Does the program slip? Does it miss a step? Or does the show go on? It's easy they... to assume. Sorry to cut you off. It's easy to assume no, the yeah, show will go on. Will. It's easy to sh- assume the show will go on. But you can ask any number of programs, including yours at Indiana. The show doesn't always go on just because, hey, man, look at what we once did. It doesn't, but it's... <sighs> I don't know. It's just got such a mystique. You have you been there? Have you been in, I have. inside camp? I got to huh? see. I got to see Duke it's, Carolina uh, right. with with Stackhouse on the Carolina team. <laughs> You've been to the mountaintop. You've and, seen it. And I saw a December game between Duke and UCLA with Baron uh, Davis. Oh wow! And Is watching this when you were in Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend, uh, Jimmy Lloyd, who uh, big Duke supporter. His dad was had tickets, and and I went up there for it. And it's like, who the fuck is this kid, Baron Davis? He's unbelievable. Uh, didn't he wear a headband? Uh, I think or so. Maybe he did. And this Steve, before he blew I... his knees out, and he, of course, was young, and he could spin yeah. move, and it was slick, and it was like, holy shit, yeah. this guy's gonna be a great pro. Yeah, Steve, it's a, I, my... I recommend anyone get to Cameron Indoor, even if you hate Duke. Just go and be part of it because it's 9,000 seats. It's all cramped. It's old school. But it's old school, as you know, Ron, without being dilapidated. Everything is in pristine condition, and you feel like you're in a fucking time machine. It's incredible. You know what it reminds me of is on our golf trip over to Scotland. It's like walking into Troon. You think, look at this fucking old place. And then you walk in, and you're like, oh, my God, everything's perfect. But when I was there, my first experience, I'll tell this story very quickly, was – I was teaching, I was giving Gary Williams golf lessons at the time and messing around Patsos and these guys and Billy Hans and Indiana boy. And Billy said, he invited my buddy Zem and I, when we were in school, he said, you want to come down to the Duke Maryland game? This is when Duke had the boys. I mean, this is 91. They won the championship that year, but obviously this is, this is Hurley. This is Leitner. This was, Oh, it was 92. Cause it was Cherry Park, Cherokee Park's right. freshman year. They had Grant Hill, Thomas Hill, and Maryland had Walt Williams, Kevin McClinton, Vince Broadnax, uh, Chris Kerwin. So they're undefeated. We hadn't won a game in the conference. We take them to overtime. I will never forget being in there for at that moment. And Walt found out, and Kevin McClinton, I've told you the story, turned into Michael Jordan, but I have never in my life experienced anything close to that in a sports you know, in a, in a, the theater of sport that will ever compare to that. And I say this because Steve, I, I wanted so badly to, I wish so badly that I was a really good basketball player. I was a good ball player, but I wanted to be good enough to be on that floor at that time. 
I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to be out on that floor oh, in that environment. So my point in saying that is any kid who comes there as a recruit, they're going to be like, oh, shit, I'm coming here. Yeah. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. No, so it's... I don't think it's going to go downhill. I really, as long as they have that environment uh, and it's a wonderful school, we know that, but all right. So these kids go to school. But... You, uh, where are you on Zion? Uh, the most dominant guy I've seen all around uh, in a long time. However, I mean, I'm saying interior, but another example of AAU worshiping these guys. His his release, his shot is awful. His his it's not outside good. Oh, it's terrible. Well, look at the foul shooting. I but, mean, I've never seen two worse foul f- or free throws than I saw. It's crucial times. How short were they? It doesn't look like he's got his elbow in line with his hand. It, no, it looks no, loose no, and no. wide, but he can he can hit some threes. Mm. And he's six six apparently. They list him at six seven, but you know yeah. how it is. He's probably six six. He's gonna have to play the three or something like that in the pros. But I think they'll find a place for him. Explosiveness, which he has, and he's got incredible touch and handle for a guy who's that big. That'll find its place at the next level, I'm convinced. Now, people are now changing the argument like Jay did yesterday here on this podcast saying he he's supposed to be a transformative player. I said, I never fucking said that. He's like, well, that's what they are saying. And I go, well, ignore the they. Because I'm not saying he's going to be anything other than the number one, number one pick and a fucking stone cold good pro. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be a really good rebounder, which is undervalued in the NBA. Unless you talk to NBA executives and coaches, he is his, his spring, his bounce. Oh yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, Barkley had bounce, but Barkley didn't have quickness and bounce like this guy. He can bounce. Um, He can, he can bounce multiple times quickly, which is very hard to do. Yeah. And yeah. that's and part he, of his athleticism there. So, and he can finish too. He can finish around the rim. I mean, you, he, a couple of plays, I was at the games this, this past weekend, as you know, at the regional, and there were a couple of finishes where I, I just know he made the guys, he made goings and those guys on Michigan state looks really small and stationary and they're yeah. not, they're big men, but he goes right around them. Yeah. Um, All right, we're talking and, about referees. I want to talk about uh, this call in the Texas Tech Gonzaga game where the guy who blocked the shot was literally three feet out of bounds, plumped his giant size 13 shoe completely in the paint. Ref is looking right at it, doesn't make the call. They can't fix it on replay because they can't fix something that was not called in the first place. How yeah. in the fuck do those guys miss calls like that? All right. So you've got, well, you know, I, I don't know if I need to tell people, but as a former official um, and high end high school and did some college. Okay. So, and I was good at it. I stopped and my son was someone's born because it took too much time away from it. Uh, you have a lead official. Every play, you have a lead official. The lead official is the guy who runs down and runs the baseline. Okay. okay. Then you have a trail official who's the guy up top. And then you have an opposite C official who is going to be opposite and foul line extended. That's his job. As the ball moves, the lead official moves towards the ball. Then they rotate. The, the C official, the lead or trail official comes down. So they, it's, a, it's a poetry. It's a, it's a symphony. Okay, so on that play, the guy up top has the sideline, and the guy underneath has the uh, end line. However, that doesn't mean that it's 
set in stone. So the guy, Earl Walton, who was the lead official on that. He was on the baseline and looking right at the play. Looking right at it. He probably deferred to the guy who was the trail official. Because technically it was a sideline call. call. It was not a baseline call. Okay, but there's that is all thrown out the window if the guy on the baseline is closer to the play. He's allowed to call it. I can't expect Earl Walton to make that call because Earl Walton is the guy who, as a Maryland guy, I'm going to say this, blew the end of the Maryland um, game against LSU. You think that was a travel on their point guard? The the travel, whatever, but the block shot foul that they called – where they had that huge exchange. It was back and forth. It was beautiful basketball block shots, guys mm-hmm. scrap and fight. All of a sudden, Earl Walton, the jackass comes in out of nowhere, <laughs> doesn't even call a foul on the block shot. He gives the arm grab call to bail himself out saying, ah. okay, it wasn't on the block shot. It was on the way up you look and there's nothing there. He turned the punt in the punch bowl. Came out of nowhere, ruined a great thing. Maryland had that rebound. We would have gone up four with a minute 23 left, or we would have been up four with the ball with a minute 23. Instead, they go to the line, hit two foul shots. Earl Walton is also the same guy who got thrown out of the Big East because in 2011, there were two no calls at the end of the St. John's Rutgers game, which are literally go down as the worst officiated game in the history of the game. It's that (laughs) bad. I mean, when you get thrown out of a league, Right. That's how bad you are. Well, didn't okay. Ted Valentine get thrown out of the Big Ten finally this past uh, winter, I think? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, yeah, they just had, they TV told him Teddy. he's no longer welcome. Yeah, was, he was getting to be a little too much. You know, they just announced the final four referees. Who's in it? And I have the names right in front of me. And a guy that is there that is really surprising, his name is James Breeding. And James Breeding, along with Tim Clockerty, who is John Clockerty's son, oh, yeah. who was, I'm sure, embarrassed as hell about this. But I don't know if you saw the Seton, the Seton Hall Marquette game in the Big East tournament where no. they oh, where they called all the flagrant fouls and the, they said there was fighting. So they threw technicals and guys got thrown out of the game. It's a huge game. It was a semifinal game. It was a gigantic game. Eight minutes into the game, these, this guy, James Breeding, starts calling technicals and throwing people out, and it was just the worst shit. So, it's Bo Gorowski, James Breeding, Ron Grove, but this is huge. Keith Kimball, right. Chris Rassatter, Doug Shaw, who's really good, Doug Simons, who's really good. Michael Stevens is, yeah, I mean, he's a showboat. He has every game, although he did the Final Four two years ago where, remember, it was just a whistle fest. And then there's a guy named Terry Weimer who has to have pictures of J.D. Collins doing something illegal <laughs> for the only way that he gets every, he gets the final four. But it's a huge honor for these guys. And the two best officials are not doing the final four again. Who are they? Uh, uh, Brian O'Connell, who doesn't have the look. He's got gray hair. He looks like an accountant. <laughs> the he guy doesn't have the look? Oh, you got to have the look, Steve. That's what it's all about. You got to have the tight shirt, the hair gel. You got to have the look. And another guy who didn't get it, who gets rated every single year by the coaches as the best basketball official in college basketball is Roger Ayers. And I have no idea why Roger Ayers didn't get the job. But going back quickly to the final four in the East region, uh, I'm sorry, the East region games, neither game went into the bonus in the first half, Steve. It was beautiful. How about the non-fouls being called, the lack of fouls being called, impacting the outcome of the game where Duke only had 14 
how ironic how ironic is it that you could be in a game that tight and physical and not be in the bonus and then have it come down to fuck you at the end <laughs> that's that's so not awful yeah it, you know it's you know, so rare and that hey and that is a that's a coaching snafu not by k by his assistants those guys are supposed to be on it. They're supposed to be ahead of the game. There's with a minute and 30 or a minute and 40 left when they're down four, they're supposed to say, coach, we only have three team fouls. We need to get some fouls in case this comes down a stretch. You know what? You're right. Thank you. You're right. Thank yeah. you. Right down the line. No, <laughs> you know, about officials. I, uh, I've told the story before. I'll try to give a, re- a, a quick version of it yet again here to you. You know, when I was doing play by play at UCSB right out of college, and traveling with the team and talking to the coaches and the assistant coaches, the first thing always was we checked, you know, who's our refs for tonight. And it was especially important on the road because there was a handful of refs that did Big West games that were good enough and strong enough that you could get a call, Ron, on the road in the last minute or two that is legit. You know, not it's not a gift yes. call, but are you going to get a call? I think... I think Tim Higgins was one of the guys that did some games. I'd have to go look up the names. John, John Higgins. John Higgins. Okay. John Higgins. Timmy Higgins was always out in the East Coast. Okay. There, big, John Higgins, and, yes. And there was someone else that were like, okay, like if we got that one of those, just one of those guys, we're like, okay, we got a shot tonight because this guy's a stud. He'll he'll call it if it happens late. Then there are there was a guy by the name of Dave Libby. Oh, and you, yeah. you know Dave Libby? Yes, you know him? of course. Dave I, Libby. It's ridiculous. I know all these guys I know. by name. <laughs> Dave Libby, his signature thing was that when he pointed in any direction, he would curl his middle two fingers down, but leave his thumb and his pinky out along with his index finger. So it's like oh, a yeah. trident. And oh, that was yeah. on both hands, and he would yeah. peacock and charge oh, me in oh, Dave yeah. Libby. It. And so me and uh, Chris Carlson, who was the student assistant manager, would always joke with each other in the hallways of the team hotels. We'd say, hey, man, going to get me a snack in the machine, and we'd, we'd throw each other at Dave Libby and just that's joke about great. it. But that's sure. how important the referees are oh, in college. Steve. Steve, it's it's I'm, I'm gonna stop just short of saying it's everything, but my God, it's a lot it's, of it's oh, lot it's of crucial. It. It's you, you. I mean, if you're if your best player, you're if you're big man and you don't have a lot of big men, if he gets his first foul within the first minute of the game, I'd like to see what the statistics are on your one your win loss because oh, yeah. one within the first minute. Which you never, ever, ever as a referee give a guy, any guy, a foul in the first minute. You talk to them. If they're pushing underneath, it's generally going to be a push in the back Mm -hmm. or something. A good referee, the lead official who's roaming the baseline, is talking. That whistle's out of his mouth. You know, clean it up. Clean it up. I don't want to blow the clean it up. Yeah. You know, and they're not here to watch me. That's what I used to always say before I'd throw the tip. I'd say, Friday night, boys, they're not here to watch me. Keep your hands off each other and you'll not even, and you won't even know I'm here. Yeah. And sure as hell. And you let them go out and play. Now, the call, I do agree with the call in the uh, Purdue, Virginia. Wait, who was it? Purdue, Tennessee, where they fouled Carson Edwards, <clears throat> excuse me, on the three pointer in the corner. Yeah, remember he. Oh, that he was a, no, the first that's a, one. That's a foul. I like. It's a good. Yeah. Jay yesterday good. on this podcast thought it wasn't a foul. I said, "Dude, shooters 
are protected till they land. And Edwards did not kick out his leg egregiously. There was a little bit of sort of a an arc to his body shape, but it was not egregious. It was not. Yeah. It was not Reggie Miller flailing his foot out. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't. and 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 that's and they wrote that into the rules that you know you, when you're closing out on shooters, you can't crash into them after the ball is gone. Yep. Yep. So hey, there's one other one other referee, real quick. Jeff Anderson. I forgot. He is going to be the lead official in whatever game he does. He's a black ref and he runs. Wait till you watch this dude run. And I say he's a black sprint? ref because it'll do. No, he, 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 we call him the prancer. He does a lot of big oh. East games. He <laughs> runs with his knees up like he's in football practice running over the dummies hop, hop, that are hop, laid hop, down. Hop. Yeah. Wait, wait, see. But he actually is the best official. In, is he? In, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's great. He He's literally great. So. As good as Ed Hightower used oh, to be. Eddie Hightower was good, but he had a weird relationship with Bob Knight's wife, Nancy Knight. And I don't mean that kind of relationship, but uh, Eddie Hightower's wife. I know too much about this. Program, what, 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 what's the weird relationship? Eddie Hightower's wife used to travel to all the, every time Eddie was in doing an Indiana game, Eddie would always bring his wife because Nancy Night, Bob Knight's wife at the time, would always take her shopping. <laughs> There's no conflict of interest oh, there. Oh, my God. I mean, wow. There are so many stories. Coach Knight and Chris Beard, you know, the Final Four. Chris Beard is a former assistant under Bob Knight and uh, Pat Knight and Bob Knight together for 10 years oh he spent God. with those guys. And I see a lot of the similarities when I watch yeah. Chris, when I watch Texas Tech play. Do you miss, see a, do you miss refing? Yes, terribly, and I want to do it again, and I am it's, going to do it again. It is fun. I I did it in college, did intramurals, and I would uh, actually request the fraternity league intramural games, even mm-hmm. though, as part of their fraternity pledge week, they would make their pledges come to their games, <laughs> and do nothing but give shit to the referees about everything. Oh yeah. Your shoes, your shorts, you name it. And <laughs> and because the fr- because the fraternities had the best teams, you know, they played in their own league in intramurals, right? Right. And they had some good players. And so when I got to do those games, those were real games and they were a lot of fun because there was actually a game I refed in college intramural in which there was several alley-oop dunks. Oh wow. In an intramural game and I was like, "Fuck." And yeah, guys are getting tense and they get in your face, but it was satisfying to me at the end of a game that went pretty well to have players on both teams say, Hey, thanks. You did a good job out there. Like Absolutely. you feel, you feel good as you know, you're like administering this game. You want it to be a close game. You're really close to, well, I was not close to superior good athletes, but they were good basketball players, obviously mm-hmm. high school kids to be a referee towards really good players would be pretty amazing. Of course, the NBA players are the best, but NBA players are increasingly fucking assholes toward, ref- toward referees. And I said this yep. yesterday on the show about Golden State. I said, it's amazing how unlikable these cocksuckers are as a team for how they act about the referees and calls. And that's kind of a league-wide problem, I think. You know how I feel about this. It's I, I cannot believe what he called that referee, Zach Zabie, I think his name is. He called him a... Uh, oh my god! Cocksucking uh, bitch or something like that. Yeah, motherfucking uh, 
little could, bitch or something like right. that. And and of course he's going to be able to. And of course there's not going to be there may be any repercussions. Yeah. yeah. No. 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 Of course not. Because and you know Curry acts the same way. Curry when he was throwing his mouthpiece into the crowd and all that bullshit. My son loves loved Steph Curry. We went to the game. You know, every time the Wizards played him, Jersey, all that shit. He was just so into it. When he started to see him bitch. And then when he heard that he said that the um, the moon landing was fake, then I made sure that he didn't like him anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's funny the influence I could have over my boy when it comes to these guys. But meanwhile, I take him to all the games so he can see these guys up close. But, you know, it, it's so offensive when a team like Golden State acts like this because they get more fucking calls than anybody. And also anybody. They, and they are the gold standard. They're the league's marquee team. And like you said, there's little Jimmies and, and, and kids like your son who watch and idolize and look up to him, man. I mean, yes. come on, Jesus. And, 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 and Golden State's in cruise control. They're throwing games away every third night because they know that when it comes time to turn it on, they're going to turn it on. And it's just a terrible example. And guys like you and I get branded as old, grumpy men for bringing up this basic fact that these guys should act more like pros and less like babies. It's true. It's true. But when they get so used to the calls and the coddling and all, and, and, you know, part of it's the official, the officials problems too, because like when I, I, we, last year we went to watch, or no, it was earlier this year. I took Winston to my, my boy uh, and we have good seats from down right on the floor for the wizards games. And I took him to watch his team, the Celtics and Brad, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I drop names, but Brad Stevens, my former neighbor, was really good to us. He's really good to us when we go to these games. And there was a call where Kyrie, they called a foul against one of our guys against, uh, I think someone closed, Jeff Green closed out on him. They called a foul at the end of the game. So my point in bringing this up is, is these guys get used to getting these calls. They get used to these calls. And so when they don't get them, especially in a close game or in a nationally televised game, then they expect it. Yeah, you're they right. They expect it. They he, totally do. He called uh, He called referee Zach Zarba. That's the guy. Yes. Durant yeah. called him a, quote, bitch-ass motherfucker. I mean, <laughs> come on. you got to be kidding me. This, and you, this, this reminds me of uh, semi, semi-pro when uh, Will Ferrell was reaming out the ref. Oh, yeah. One of the great movies of all time. Um, but after the game, you know, Steve Kerr said, I was very surprised. I watched the whole thing. I didn't think he deserved to be ejected, but I think Zach Zarba is one of the best officials in the game. So I got no complaints with Zach. He knows what he's doing. He's a fantastic official. It was just surprising. I never got an explanation or a chance to talk to him, but we move on. Yeah, we should move on. They won the game anyway. Big game yep. against Denver. By the way, Durant has 15 tees this year. If he one picks more. up one more, he yep. gets suspended for a game. Why the fuck has he got 15 technicals? Uh, you know, I guess former I have to league be kind MVP, of... former yeah, finals but, MVP. But you know where he's from. I mean, it's kind of a. I, I don't think you completely lose uh, a part of you that is used to being a fighter and a scrapper and a scraper. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just think that it's it's in you. You okay. feel you're being wronged, and regardless of whether or not you have 150 million in the Jor- bank, or, Jordan never had or, that many. LeBron never had that many tees. Well, because it wasn't allowed back then. You had guys like Dick Babetta, who back then was a hard ass, and 
uh, and Ronnie Crawford, Danny Crawford, Ronnie Garretts and Donnie Garretts, right. no, Danny Garretts, all these guys, they didn't put up with shit. They didn't put up with shit. <laughs> but also, they wouldn't even listen to it. You know, part of the reason that the inbounds, remember the quick inbounds that they used to have? Yeah. Where you'd be like, the ball would be turned over or something, and the, the guy would be out of bounds waiting for the ball, and the Just referee would throw it, it up. And go, it. Yeah. yeah, you know why part of it was? Because they didn't have to listen to any of the bullshit. They loved it. Let's go. You know, if you want to sit here and complain, I'm going to the other end and your guys wide open down here. So that was part of it. The other but, thing too, is that, you know, Jordan's era, the players were men and these guys yes. are grown up children of the millennial age where their brains have been unfortunately warped and damaged by social media and the internet. And it's a different age and that's a problem for society to solve. Okay. Let me just get your two cents on golf here. By the way, do you have a pick for the final four? I do Virginia. So Virginia, Virginia, Virginia against two in the final. Michigan uh, Virginia, State. Yeah, Virginia, Michigan State, and I think it's because Virginia, the way they defend, I think that they control the tempo of the game. And in my opinion, these final four games are always about tempo, okay. controlling the controlling the pace. Okay, golf, women's Augusta National Amateur. Go. I love it. First round was today which is, uh, what's today? I don't even know. Today's Wednesday. Wednesday. First round was today, yeah. and they use it to then, like, because they're playing one round at Augusta. This round today so, was at a nearby course. I don't know the Champions name Champions Retreat, which is phenomenal. It's it looked, a new, very private golf course. It looked really new nice. Champion, yeah. yeah, Champions. So you've got today, then you've got tomorrow, and then Friday, they all get to play a practice round regardless. Um, which all the is players which do. is cool. So if you didn't make the cut down to whatever the final number is. 30, top yeah. 30. If you didn't make the final cut to go actually play at Augusta on Sunday, right? The Sunday before yes. they open the gates for the actual uh, tournament for the men? Uh, or no, Saturday? Saturday, okay. yes, Saturday. Right. So Thursday is a practice round for everybody. On, I'm sorry, Friday is the practice round, then they get to play on Saturday. And then okay. Sunday starts drive, chip, and putt. Right. So um, very nice that all these amateurs, if they, even if they don't make the cut, they get to play a practice round at the most hallowed grounds in all of golf. Yes. And yet, today I saw on Twitter, Ronnie, some golf writers taking shots at Augusta because it's only one round and not more than one round. Steve, these guys don't know anything you know that i know you know that you know and i and i read and i read the comments and the responses to the tweet because thankfully a lot of people came out of the woodwork to clobber this particular writer somebody put it best they said oh figures progressives complaining about progress got it yep it's others were saying others were saying this is why they should have never done it because it'll never satisfy some people yeah as long as long as there is a keyboard in front of some people, we're going to have to deal with this kind of stuff because literally anybody can write anything they want because they, I mean, they can have a blog, they can have big, yeah. get picked up by the Atlantic or whatever, although that, or what's it called? The athletic, although they wouldn't hire someone. I don't think they would write that. This girl today, this woman today, she hit 18 greens. Did she? Yeah. And under this kind of pressure, she hit all eighteen greens. Those were firm. Those are firm yeah, greens. Yeah. She did make a bogey. I mean, Steve, these women are so good. These girls, these women. Yeah. I'm fortunate to host the um, University of Maryland women's team out at our club. They were just out last week. They've been out three or four times, and 
they're all European, first of all, or they're all foreign. We have one girl who's from Bethesda, Maryland, but the coach is, yeah, Deanna Cantu is from Mexico. She's the head coach. She two national championships for the University of Tennessee. She is our head women's golf coach, and she has Italians, French, Brits, uh, Thais, uh, Koreans, and these women are not only are they so good, they're so cool. They're yeah. cool cool women they're like really neat well i think it's neat i think it's neat what they're doing at augusta obviously um i think people got to slow down in saying well the lpga deserves to have their own event there hey it's a private fucking club okay (laughs) stupid you know yes just just go with it tell tell the green jackets thank you this is wonderful and We'll we'll do it. We'll come as many years as you are willing to have it. Thank you, Steve. How about this? How about their? They are essentially their golf course is being used on Friday for the women, and of course the the guys who arrive early will get to play Saturday. They're having an actual tournament, so the men aren't going to be able to go out. I don't know how they're going to do tee times. Yeah, I would assume there'll be the open time for them to go out. But then Sunday, drive, chip, and putt. I mean, how could you ever? It's not Dispar- exactly hate- disparagingly about the, I know. the Masters I know. and Augusta, what they're doing. Ronnie, great talk. It won't be the last time. Thank you, brother. Thank you, bud. I love you. All right, buddy. I love you, too. See you. All right. Bye. Let's end on a sampler platter of a couple of items. Helen Mirren just said, fuck Netflix. She was speaking at a gathering. It was CinemaCon. On Tuesday night. And the Dame Helen Mirren of the Queen fame served Netflix up a royal burn, says the website MarketWatch. She said, I love Netflix, but fuck Netflix. The conference of CinemaCon was a convention of movie exhibitors. (gasps) Excuse me. That would be theater owners invested in people who will actually go to the theater and watch movies in a darkened room. She said, there's nothing like sitting in the cinema and the lights go down. I'd like to thank you guys for making that environment possible. The Hollywood Reporter noted that Netflix has been a huge topic of discussion since CinemaCon kicked off in Las Vegas on Monday. Motion Picture Association of America Chairman CEO Charles Rivkin told theater owners on Tuesday why he was welcoming Netflix into the fold. Quote, here's what I know. We are all stronger advocates for creativity in the entertainment business when we are working together, all of us. Yeah, but it's such a different product, though. People say, oh, these Net- some of these Netflix series are really good. Some of these Netflix movies are really good. Yeah, maybe. But to actually get a movie approved to be shot and displayed in theaters, it's a higher bar. Doesn't mean they're making good movies anymore that you want to go see in theaters. In fact, they're making less. I'm the kind of guy that would want to go to a theater to see a really good big-time movie, but there's less and less that appeal to me because it's all action, CGI, and or horror, bankable genre, and or comic book movies because they are easily translatable uh, to other languages and they make a ton of money overseas. The days of original, cool, wow, you got to go see this movie and you got to go see it in the theater type movies like uh, Castaway with Tom Hanks and others like that, they're gone. I mean, for the most part, or so it seems. 
Dayline, Florida. How about this Chinese woman that was caught with a thumb drive of malware trying to lie her way past the Secret Service at Mar-a-Lago where the president was holding a fundraiser? Holy shit. Uh, the woman, uh, Yujing Zhang, was charged in federal court for unlawfully entering a restricted area after she said she was there to go to the pool. They called Mar-a-Lago a club, a private club. I thought it was a residence, but what do I know? Maybe it's been converted to an actual club, like a public place, and they were having a big fundraiser there, and the president was there, and Secret Service was there. And this woman said she was there at the request of someone named Gary. Yeah. At, or no, Charles. Charles, her friend, told her to travel from Shanghai, China. She had two passports. Shady. Told her to travel from Shanghai, attend the event, and attempt to speak with a member of the president's family about Chinese and American foreign economic relations. She had not one, not two, not three, but four cell phones, a laptop, and a thumb drive that, according to the Secret Service, had malware on it. Now, I'm not saying she's guilty, but I'm saying, how come we can't hang those people in this country by their ankles in prison for a week until we find out, okay, what the fuck are you really doing here? It's like we've gone soft. How does a person like that get past at least even the first stage of our Secret Service? It's crazy. And I don't think it was a coincidence. So we got the Russians to worry about. Now we got the Chinese to worry about as well. France is banning a popular breast implant over a cancer risk. In a decision it's called Historic, Le Monde newspaper said France's National Agency for Medicines and Health Products has informed manufacturers of its plan to ban the so-called textured breast implant. Why textured? Because it clings to the skin inside the booby so it doesn't sag or get out of place, or as they like to say, the, quote, Tara Reid effect. Aha. Aha. Okay. That was out of, that was out of bounds. Not only that, but apparently there was, uh, so there was an elevated number of cancer cases that came from these particular implants. Also, France was the center of a major scandal involving booby implants in 2010 after they found out that a maker of a popular brand of implants had been filling them with a cheap industrial-grade silicone gel, which was more dangerous than medical-grade silicone, which apparently costs a few cents more. Jesus, people, come on now. And then there was this. Secaucus, New Jersey. A hacking scandal has rocked a New Jersey school district. Two tech-savvy teenagers are accused of disabling their school's Wi-Fi system so they could get out of tests. Police are calling what happened there illegal, but also rather ingenious. They said the two 14-year-old boys were arrested after hacking into the Wi-Fi and making it impossible for teachers to give any tests or teach any lessons that relied on the Internet. It was all the talk at school on Tuesday. Oh, I can bet it was. See, adults, the kids are not just one step, not just two. They're, they're nine steps ahead of all of us. These kids should get a slap on the wrist, some after-school detention spreading mulch, and then be promoted to their science and technology team, STAT. 
That will do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow, Final Four Confidential from DC Prime with my man Chris Naki as well as Mr. X. We'll get our picks down for the Final Four, our leans, our thoughts, uh, basketball knowledge as well, camaraderie, bon vivants, you name it, the kind of stuff you only get while sitting around a table drinking drinks and eating delicious cow. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you tomorrow on Steakhouse Confidential Turn Final Four Confidential. Sign up at zabe.com slash premium. Now go on out there, have yourself a night, and we will see you tomorrow. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with my bookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak dinner winner winner and right now when you sign up for an account my bookie will match your deposit with a 50 percent bonus here just have 50 percent more why not use promo code zabe charlie zulu alpha bravo echo at mybookie.ag to activate we're all going to be in office pools and that's fine nobody's going to get the perfect bracket we know that but you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing so let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag.